1: Sip on the go with a Starbucks iced shaken espresso. Our signature roast, shaken with ice, then finished with a splash of milk. Customize it to match your style on the Starbucks app. Make today a good day. 92%
0: Two years ago this week, something really weird happened, Marcus. What was that? We started this fucking podcast. <laughs> Two years <laughs> already? It is our second anniversary episode of the Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll. I am Ray Coob. I'm Marcus Goldman. And we've been doing this for a while. We can go on for a lot longer. We're not proud. It's like Arlo Guthrie doing <laughs> <laughs> Alice's Restaurant Massacre. Our podcast is The Imbalance History of Rock and Roll, and there's a reason for that, as we've said a few times, I guess, over the last couple of years that we've been doing episodes. First things first, a couple of announcements. We kind of threw it out there that April is Punk Rock Month on the podcast, and we've got some fun stuff planned for some re-release episodes. We've been working on those episodes, cleaning them up, so to speak, some of our earliest stuff. And then we're going to have a new episode of the podcast. Obviously, it'll be about punk rock, or it better be, right? It will be. It would
3: be kind of punk not to be doing an episode on punk rock.
0: Yeah, but you're not getting that Carpenter's episode that you've been wanting so badly. Oh, Sorry.
3: <laughs>
0: we both, and I think most of you, have your inner punk rocker, and so April will be a good month for that. I would say avoid putting the safety pin through your nose. Just yeah. a, a hint here in 2021. Or
3: anywhere through your skin, for that matter.
0: July is going to be hot on the Imbalance History of Rock and Roll because it will be our first ever Listener Episode Month featuring four new episodes suggested by members of the audience and we're in the process of soliciting those now and contacting people who've sent in episodes. So if you've got an idea, now would be the time to send it into imbalancehistory at gmail.com to get your possible episode as part of the Listener Episode Month in July. So we got a lot going on here. And after two years of rambling and veering and getting all off the topic, so many times we thought it'd be good to be a little introspective on this—the uh, anniversary of our second. Trip around the sun with the podcast.
3: I will say that because of the pandemic at times, it feels like we've been doing this a little bit longer than two years, like maybe three or four, because of the way the world stopped and the way everything slowed down. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I just mean that it feels like we've been recording for a couple of years beyond the two just because of what's happened in our world All of our worlds the last Mm -hmm. year.
0: And I'll tell you one thing about that is it feels like two years since we've sat across the table from each other and did an episode here at the Soul Kitchen or there at the Magic Bag Studios because we've been doing it on Skype and Zoom and we have guests and stuff. So the pandemic is something that has taught us a lot. I think we want to talk about what we've learned in the last couple of years of doing this podcast. And in the second half, uh, I want to talk about the things that we knew, but we forgot and relearned for you and for me in the last couple of years. They had a lot of that, oh yeah, I forgot about
3: that. Mm -hmm. I made some notes like you did going back and checking out some of our older podcasts and doing some of the fun research on our past that we've done for so many episodes.
0: And along the way, friends become sponsors, and we have to thank Pete and Paul and Jeff and everybody at Crook and I Brewery in the heart of Hapro for their sponsorship of the podcast for this long stretch. And through the pandemic, thank you especially, I know it's been hard on them, and it's been hard on anybody who loves to go to Crooked Eye and have a sip, but it has been hard on them, and we thank them for sticking with us through all of this, and we, we love them, and we love their brews, let's face it.
3: I also want to send big thanks to Ty from One CBD for being a sponsor through last year as well. Good guy, yeah. great product. If you have any health issues that you may need that may require CBD, I highly recommend you check out his. His website because he does a lot of research and he puts together some good quality product
0: here's another thought for you if you're a business person or you have a friend who's a business person especially if you do a lot of business online consider becoming a sponsor The Imbalance History of Rock and Roll. The guys at Crooked Eye will tell you about how it's grown. If you want to talk to them, I can get you in touch with them. But the best way to do that is to reach out to us on imbalancehistory at gmail.com and thank you for considering that kind of support here on The Imbalance History of Rock and Roll. So let's talk a little bit about what we have learned my dear Marcus in these last couple years. We learned a lot initially about what podcasting is, what it isn't, and how it's different from broadcasting, which we're way more experienced in.
3: Making the The transition in some ways from radio to podcasting is challenging because with radio, everything is succinct. You want to paint a big picture in as few words as possible, whereas... With podcasting, you're allowed to have complete, full, detailed thoughts and ideas, and you can talk about them either by yourself or with a partner or partners as part of a group conversation. So it opens it up in some ways. And it's been a challenge to kind of break from doing the short, succinct thoughts and Oh uh, right. basically, you condense everything. Look
0: man, it's as simple as this. We're used to doing one shot. One take, live, you get it or you don't. And in podcasting, it's a little bit more like film where if you get halfway through a line and you don't like how it's going, you stop. You can restart. You can cut it out. Jesus knows how many hours <laughs> of you and I have ended up on the digital cutting room floor well, these last couple of years because not everything is a home run.
3: And I'll tell you what, if we were using traditional real tape, like in the old days, <laughs> our floors would be filled with tape and we'd be broke from the amount of money we'd be spending on tape.
0: Not to mention the floors would sag from the weight of it. <laughs> <laughs> but let's talk about some of the stuff we actually have learned while doing the podcast these last couple years. For me, the number one is the existence of the actual holy grail of rock and roll, not not the story of the devil at the crossroads, but Robert Johnson's guitar. The fact that Robert Johnson's guitar may be out there and may exist somewhere in this world and is undiscovered is more of a mystery to me than which of the three graves he's actually buried in, if and any of them. True. I'm really stoked you mentioned Robert Johnson right off the bat
3: because the humanizing of Robert Johnson and explaining that lost year and a half in a way, I think was one of the most important moments in the last 20 years in the history of rock and roll
0: because it humanized Robert Johnson, like I said. And we learned a lot of that, Marcus, from the book Brother Robert, which was written by Robert Johnson's half-sister, Anya C. Anderson, and Preston Lauterbach, who came on the podcast and talked to us about all this stuff and also verified the possible existence of Johnson's guitar, which was pawned after his death. Wouldn't it be
3: something if Robert Johnson's (laughs) guitar showed up out of somebody's private? private collection. I think it's out if it's out there somebody has it in a private collection. I think they're afraid to go public with it. But if it is out there, it would be great for Anya C. Anderson to be able to see it one last time in her lifetime and I think that would be amazing
0: for her. What's something that made you go, wow, I never knew
3: that? The episode about the Moody Blues, I learned a ton about how prog rock developed. And I love King Crimson. I like the Moody Blues. I'm not as much of a blues head as your hardcore blues fans, but I do enjoy their music. It's beautiful. It's relaxing. With the symphonies, it sounds marvelous. But listening to and reading about their stories and how these albums came together and how this band really grew and evolved and was able to make prog rock relatable to the masses was really impressive
0: and i really like how the episode flowed and how that one came out too and uh, one of the few episodes we've done so far so far about progressive rock here on the podcast true you know in the process of making these episodes you do some i do some we edit together we talk about all this stuff one of the things that i've learned is that there is audio of a zillion points in history on the internet somewhere things like the bruce springsteen audition tape yeah Dick Clark for every occasion. There's Dick Clark for every occasion. And a surprising number of band demos. They're the kind of things that I've been finding out there.
3: I'm glad you mentioned the band demos because I found the Coventry Automatics on the internet. You found the old Van Halen demos on the internet. So there's so many old demos. I know that a lot of bands are starting to release in uh, 25 and 30 and 20-year packages, some of those old demos.
0: Along those lines, though, sometimes we just kind of ramble and talk about things, and then one or the other has to go out and actually find that stuff. And the thing that's surprising is like that time we were talking about Jimi Hendrix playing with somebody and we found audio of that or when uh, was it Little Richard? I don't know. I I can't remember now but this is what happens too by the way. That's why we're the imbalanced history of rock and roll. But there's all this stuff out there, and we are always amazed that when we find it, that it exists. There's always that little... <laughs> you just Frau Bluchered. I did. <laughs> In our own little way. You know what? One of the things that I've learned during our imbalanced time together here on the podcast, Marcus? What? That 70s R&B is still a major fucking thing, dude.
3: Oh, yeah. That episode just shows how timeless the music is. The Earth, Wind & Fire, the whole Motown scene, the Commodores, Lionel Richie, it's all there. The Isley Brothers, and people still listen to it today. The oldies and the soul stations do really well in a terrestrial radio still to I this day. I think that
0: people are listening to it everywhere, and I think one of the things that's happening out there, and there, I've seen evidence of it, is an increasing amount of listening that has nothing to do with radio. People are just listening to stuff on music services and learning and relearning as they go. And that's what this episode is about at our second anniversary. We thought it'd be fun to talk about the things that we've learned and later some of the things that we've relearned on the podcast.
3: Ray, when we kind of took a gamble with the Bitches Brew episode, that episode was so much fun to research because I'd listened to the complete album many times, but never done in-depth research like we did for the podcast and the stories of how they recorded the songs and how they used one keyboardist for the left side, one keyboardist for the right side, sometimes three drummers, sometimes three pianos, You know, and they just did all these crazy two bass combinations, three bass combinations. And the fact that he did all of this and put it together in such a package, I mean, was. You know what I keep
0: thinking of? Because I've been thinking about whenever I listen to that episode. Imagine how much easier the production on that album would have been in a digital era. Because. We talked a lot in the episode about how they had to actually cut and move stuff and dub stuff on analog tape, which is not an easy thing to do. No,
3: but would it have had the richness and the depth that it has had it been done digitally?
0: We don't have to answer that question. You know, I learned something and that's the Kenny Aronson, who we interviewed before we went Pantheon. We didn't talk about that. He has been around some amazing moments and events in rock and roll, and those episodes may not be something that people, when they discover the podcast, go to immediately, and I'm saying don't miss what's in that episode. Actually, those two episodes with Kenny Aronson.
3: Yeah, that conversation turned out to be about a half an hour, 45 minutes, maybe even an hour longer than we had expected it to be because we were planning on talking a little bit about the scene and the stories that he shared were just mind-blowing and The the Dylan stuff his audition for the Rolling Stones was a cool story and it gives you a feel for what the Rolling Stones were like at about that time
0: we both knew but learned so much about Woodstock and Jimi Hendrix and Motown and we relearned a ton about all of those topics as we put together episodes in our first year and a half two years of the podcast. I learned
3: so much about the boss and knowing that I have a partner who has a ton of Bruce Springsteen knowledge and knowledge of music from this area makes it fun for me to go in and research and then talk to you about it when we record.
0: Look what it says on my screen right now. Learned more about Springsteen. That's hilarious. (laughs) And that's my next note, because as much as that's true about you and having me as a partner, I learned a lot more about him and everything that we've talked about as part of his career and life during the research for that episode. And I read and learned a lot.
3: Me as well. And I can't wait to read and learn more about him and go into depth and detail about some of the albums that he has released also he and barack obama are doing a podcast that's pretty good as well i recommend you check it out i've listened to one episode so far and it's pretty
0: fun to listen to it's called renegades marcus and i think it's going to be a limited podcast but as long as it goes that's a good thing i think and people will listen they will listen you know what i learned a lot about bands that have gone longer than 25 years with the same people in the band That was a lot of fun digging into that and learning about bands that we thought had been around for 35 45 years straight but remembering relearning that in the middle they had that three-year break or you know bands that didn't talk to each other for a while or still don't so there's that but i learned a lot about bands like that and during that gained a new respect for ZZ Top, which led to our episode about them, which also was a very good learning experience as well.
3: Oh yeah, I learned so much about ZZ Top, and it gave me an even greater appreciation for that band as I listened in depth to their music a lot more. Their sound just makes you feel really good. You can hear the blues in it, but I really enjoyed doing the research for that episode and learning about the band, and I think my favorite part was when the drummer drove all the (laughs) way to... uh, Houston I think it was to meet up with Billy Gibbons because he knew that he had to play with this guy he knew it and he just got in his car went and made it happen and we have ZZ Top
0: here's one of the cool things about doing this podcast with you you start talking about ZZ Top and your feels on that and I knew that the next fucking words out of your mouth was going to be about Frank the drummer Yeah, and you know because you got so into him as a character and I could tell that if you two were hanging it out it would be hysterical in fact i got a feeling billy and dusty be like hey we should put these two guys together a long time ago this is entertainment now you know i really think that there's that kind of a connection between you two as people even though you've never been a speed freak <laughs> who sold everything and ran halfway across the state for whatever you know it's crazy love Good that stuff. story hey listen it's all part of the party here on the imbalanced history of rock and roll not only do you get to say what But occasionally we do, too, because we are sometimes gobsmacked by the things that we learn. And we learned a lot when we talked to our old friend, Johnny Z, John Zazula, co-founder of Megaforce Records. And sadly, since that interview, he lost his co-pilot, his co-person. Marsha passed away recently and uh, sending out love to everybody in the Megaforce fam, Mm -hmm. especially uh, Johnny and Ricky and the others who are like family and you know who you are. But he is just a force of nature. And um, hope he's doing okay.
3: Learning is one of the biggest aspects of this podcast, and I admit that I do not know a lot about the blues, even though I enjoy the hell out of the music. I have a, a fuck ton to learn about the blues, and we've started touching on people like Howling Wolf. We've touched on Screaming Jay Hawkins. You know, we've touched on Buddy Guy and Albert King and some of the other amazing blues people throughout the long storied history of the blues. But yeah. I think what excites me the most about this is digging in to learn more and more about the blues because i kind of have a jonesing wow. to learn about the blues because of people like Screamin' Jay and Howlin' Wolf and some of the other big beasts in the blues lore.
0: I think we both learned that we have blind spots. And the neat part of our working relationship here is that we got each other's back on that. We're almost like a TV series cops that way. I got your six, you know? <laughs> you know what I didn't really know is the importance of, of two things in the history of hip-hop, and that's the music of work and a rolling drum machine. Chris Schwartz told us all about that and how that all came together in the uh, interview we did with him, which was a whole lot of fun, and brought in a different angle for us. We hadn't done a whole lot on uh, hip-hop at that point. As we continue to go and grow the podcast, God knows what we'll be talking about in two years from now. We're still going to be doing this in two years, right?
3: Absolutely. I don't plan on not doing this in two years. Absolutely.
0: One of the things I truly enjoyed about the last two years was delving into the music and culture of Laurel Canyon and your production work on that was fantastic. And our work together was both informative to me and to others. Obviously people have told us about that. Mm -hmm. And we also learned together why Johnny Cash always wore black. I love that episode. That was a
3: fun episode. And Johnny Cash, a fascinating character. He's pretty punk rock for his country as he is,
0: too, if you really think about it. He had the attitude before anything was formalized regarding punk rock. Let's just say that. True. The Seattle episode
3: that we did, The Seattle Syndrome, learning yeah. about bands like the Sonics and the earlier bands before we really jumped into the meat of it, like the u men and bands like that, and really learning about that stuff, yep, was so much fun. And I still have The Witch in regular rotation on my playlist. I love that song from the Sonics. That song rocks.
0: (laughs) I just love watching them geek out, ladies and gentlemen, you know. But we talked about that from the earliest days of doing this podcast because of the commonality of the music and I think that's where we started with a lot of things. Things that we knew together and there are things that you experience from a different angle because we talked about this because of our age difference. Mm -hmm. A perfect example is the two-tone revolution. You were in the middle of it. You were a two-tone kid. Mm -hmm. I was an adult playing college radio and playing it for the kids like you who lived around, you know, Trentonary in New Jersey. That's the kind of stuff that happens on our podcast because of our little cultural shift in age. Surprisingly, though, we share way more than most people uh, musically who are eight years apart. True.
3: And the Seattle scene, you were doing professional radio while I was in... college and beginning my professional radio
0: career yeah. at those well i'm times, looking at all the you know, golden yeah. platinums on the wall from that time for me between my work in radio doing the rocker show on mmr and working at friday morning quarterback i was in the middle of it i had the opportunity to be in the middle of it mm-hmm. and uh, it was a special time no doubt
3: it was one of those episodes that there was both learning and relearning in
0: one of my favorite episodes that we made, and I think we were doing this remotely at that point, was watching you completely, totally lose it as a geek when we did the episode about one of our favorite glam dandies, Mark Bolin. And his band, T-Rex. Oh, look, he's making the face already. <laughs> that
3: episode was a blast to research, record, and put together. And what do you say about the original Glam Dandy other than he was just glamorous? <laughs> and Yes, he was. And, he put
0: the sparkle in the rock.
3: Yep, He really is one of those guys that even though he achieved a lot of success was such an influence on so many people and so many genres of music. I mean, not only did Van Halen and David Bowie impact the 80s, but Mark Boland and T-Rex and the glam thing were huge in that scene. He influenced all of the glam music that followed him. So
0: 70s as well, yeah, yeah.
3: His music has carried forward, and I'm seeing bands every once in a while cover T-Rex music here and there, like bands that we play that are newer bands over the last decade. And I think last year they released a tribute to Mark Bolin as well.
0: Just go listen to Electric Warrior it can be a jump on point for you all these decades later. Just do it. Yeah, his uh, episode was a whole lot of fun, and we learned a lot. I learned a lot mm-hmm. and relearned some stuff. I'm jumping ahead to relearning, but I learned, relearned a lot of stuff about him. You know what, really, other than the fact that talking to Chris France was just one of those body-tingling type experiences, discovering Chris and Tina's role in the near-miss of the Clash reunion and their role in connecting Joe to Mick even though it didn't work out and his telling of that story is just great stuff just great stuff remain in love his book is out Tina's book is coming get ready folks another
3: area that I learned a lot about was the Marvin Gaye story and I think that is an important story I knew that his father had shot him but the whole psyche behind Marvin Gaye and his whole deep story I didn't know very much about at all so learning about Marvin Gaye was so much fun because he was such a genius and such a force in rock and roll and an influence whose music still Live Strong Today.
0: We're talking about some of the episodes where we learned, but by no means does it mean that the other episodes that we've done mean anything less or more to us. It's kind of like songwriting. Songwriters will tell you they can't tell you which is their favorite song that they've written because it's like children. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's not quite as, (laughs) as down to the root as that, but it's kind of in that ballpark of creativity. I just enjoy something about every episode as I go through. Anytime I'm listening to an episode I, I just always find something new to enjoy about him so that's part of it for me
3: yeah i think if we were to record this episode in a couple of weeks or a couple of months it might be totally different as far as which episodes we talk about
0: i did want to say one of the things that i'm excited about is the way that the Wrecking Crew episode has gone over. We talked about the Wrecking Crew in our sleep. I think we were texting each other one night and having a sleep. (laughs) Wrecking (laughs) Crew, must do Wrecking Crew. And when we finally got around to it, it was kind of everything we hoped it would be. We learned a lot before we did it, but we're learning even more since then. And we've recently learned that we're going to be able to have Denny Tedesco, who is the man who did the documentary, the original Wrecking Crew documentary. His dad was in the Wrecking Crew Tommy was one of the great guitar players in the Wrecking Crew and he said he's working on another documentary and wants to come on the podcast to talk about it I I think, come on man so that's one of those things you're going to look forward to a little bit if you're a fan of that episode and of the music that they helped to create moving into uh, the the third year of the podcast by the way a lot of the people that I'm learning about now in the Wrecking Crew are exactly the guys that we indicated were joining Seals and Cross on their records in the (laughs) 70s which is why I I think Danny feels like he needs to do another part of that documentary. Odds are
3: the fact that the Wrecking Crew was involved in thousands and thousands and thousands of songs. You like yes, a lot of the that songs many that the Wrecking Crew played on <laughs> so they were an important part of all of our lives because of the music that they were a part of. One of my favorite things to learn about the Wrecking Crew was the fact that people like Hal Blaine were so involved in the direction of the song and the direction of the sound Behind the, arrangements the lyrics, and stuff. yes, yeah. the arrangements that I was blown away by that, but it just shows you how important the Wrecking Crew really was.
0: Well, we've talked for a while here about the things we've learned doing this podcast during the last two years. It is the second anniversary of the Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll, and before we go to the mid-roll once again, want to remind you to celebrate the beginning of our third year. I guess April is Punk Rock Month on the podcast. We'll be uh, presenting three classic episodes and one new episode about one of your punk rock favorites. It's going to be a whole lot of fun. And then July is listener episode month featuring four new episodes suggested by you, the audience. And we're in the middle of uh, putting that together now. That's another thing before we go to the break. It seems like we always put together this great plan for the next six to eight weeks and then five things happen that blow it up.
3: Always. <laughs>
0: you know what doesn't change? The wonderful taste of Crooked Eye. <laughs> Oh, the thirst. You can feel it building as we're doing the first half of an episode, but, man, I really need this pint in my hand that is brewed by Jeffrey in the back room right there at the brewery at Crooked Eye, in the heart of Hatboro. I know you love your favorite brews there, too, buddy.
3: Absolutely. Which uh, pint do you have in your hand? I'm holding a pint of the Burrow Blonde, which is a nice
0: cream. Oh, that's bit. really good. It's a nice, lighter-tasting beer. I like the ESB, the Extra Special Bitters, uh, because of my affinity for it. And I've rarely found anything that even remotely is like the British bitters I originally fell in love with, other than what Jeff brews there at Crooked
3: Eye. Some good beers at Crooked Eye. Another one to check out if you like ales is the Golden Eye. It's a clean ale, man. It is so nice.
0: There's all kinds of flavors and all kinds of things, ciders and all kinds of beverages for you right there at York and Montgomery in the heart of Hapro Crooked Eye Brewery. And the entertainment is going on, too. Marcus, they've moved the blues night to Wednesday nights. What? Yeah, Wednesday's at Crooked Eye. And it's always fun online or in the brew pub. Stop by or fill up your growlers in your growler.
3: Make sure you check out Crooked Eye Brewery's social media pages. That's where you find out if they have any new beers coming. If whatever's going on, it will be put on their social media pages. So check out Crooked Eye Brewery's social media pages.
0: And the uh, website is crookedeyebrewery.com. A great place, a local place that you can take with you. So take some with you wherever you go and spread the crooked eye love like we try to do here on the podcast. Back for the second half of our episode about our second year of the Imbalance history of rock and roll. And uh, it feels funny to say that. like, yeah, we're starting our third year. We haven't taken a whole lot of time to stop and count the roses, if you know what I mean. <laughs> oh, by the way, during the uh, mid-roll, I put on another half pot of coffee, so if you hear brewing in the background, buddy, I'd send you a cup, but all I have is my imbalanced history of rock and roll mug, and I can't transmit via this thing. But maybe we can get these out to folks, uh, show some pictures on the social media, maybe see if people are interested in these. <laughs> maybe. You could learn as we move forward into year three here on the podcast, which is, by the way, we didn't talk about this, on the Pantheon Podcast Network. We're distributed by those guys, along with so many other great podcasts about rock and roll music and music in general. And that happened in September of 2019, pretty early on, six months in, we found uh, Christian Swain, who is the host of Rock and Roll Archaeology, and Peter Ferrioli, a Philly guy who lives out in California. And these guys have been putting together this network, growing a lot since we joined then. So thanks to them for uh, getting us out to a different stretch of the uh, podcast audience and teaching us a lot about what this whole thing is about.
3: Yeah, the Pantheon Podcast Network has been great. I'm glad that we were able to hook up with them. I love some of the other podcasts on the network. People like Martin Popoff are on the network. Yeah. So they have some big names. Moon Zappa's is on the network.
0: Yes, you just joined.
3: Yep. So there are so many big names, as well as so many people like us that are regular people like all of us that just are passionate about music. And to hear some of the great perspectives about music on the network is really fun. So I highly recommend. And you check out some of the podcasts that are out there.
0: For the second half of this episode, we thought it'd be fun to talk about the things that we've relearned in the last couple of years, both while doing research, things that reminded us of, oh, yeah, we had a lot of, oh, yeah, moments in the last couple of years. Chief among them, just how major the Beatles really were. And it was our first real episode, The Case for the Beatles, where we laid all that out.
3: I still have so much to learn about the Beatles, but there's no denying who they were, what they were, and what they have done.
0: Maybe it was more of a relearning experience for me along the way because to do the research to present the case, I relearned a lot about how things happen and how they flowed there.
3: And you actually got to see The Beatles, not live, but you got to see The Beatles in their early days on TV a little bit before I was born, if I'm not mistaken. I'm going to
0: make an absolute full confession about that. I never— saw the Beatles on television. Obviously, I was too young to see them in concert, but I never saw the Beatles on television until repeats of the Ed Sullivan stuff. It's the truth. But you were a child when the Beatles blew the world apart. Absolutely
3: shocked the world. You got I to remember see that.
0: walking across... The back alleyway. There was an alley that ran between the blocks, like a, a driveway, a common driveway that led to the garages under Row Homes in Northeast Philly. I remember walking down the alley to the corner store and hearing Love Me Do coming out of a kitchen window across the back way and girls screaming. And that's the first I remember of the Beatles.
3: <laughs> that's how it was. <laughs> it made
0: me think. If this is rock and roll, yes, I'd like some more, please. Now, that was our second episode, and it it wasn't long, Marcus, till we discovered a lot of things in our first family tree dissection of the Yardbirds. I discovered a connection between the Mahavishnu Orchestra and the Yardbirds via the Graham Bond organization and John McLaughlin. I was mind blown.
3: That was a complete learning experience for me. I only knew that Eric Clapton, Jeff Beck, Jimmy Page were part of the Yardbirds. I didn't know a lot about the Yardbirds. I still don't know enough about the Yardbirds, but I learned so much from the family tree and the fact that Kenny Aronson is playing with the Yardbirds today when they tour. (laughs) Currently not on the road due to the pandemic, but when they get back out on the road, Kenny Aronson will be back out with the Yardbirds.
0: Oh, I'm talking about what I relearned.
3: What did you relearn along the way? Most of the stuff that I relearned was a lot of the little 80s, alternative, 70s punk rock facts. To me, it was the alternative Bible and very much one of the big music magazines that I read at the time, like Rolling Stone and a few others. But Trouser Press taught me so much about the alternative bands. I was listening to the English Beat, the Specials, mm-hmm. U2, relearning Bono's nickname, came came from his buddy Googie of the Virgin Prunes and he was Bono Vox of O'Connell Street. And I can't say that with a good Is Trouser accent.
0: Press available online now? It is. They have the
3: PDFs of the old episodes, and that's actually where I got to pull a lot of this stuff from. I'm like, oh, my God, I remember reading this. Oh, my God, I remember that ad. <laughs> oh, my goodness, I remember these You know, well, album you reviews. you know, I so. don't think
0: that that's a bad thing, Marcus. I think it's good that people use the resources that the Internet provides mm-hmm. to relearn things, mm-hmm. and, and that includes in other aspects of our lives. Too. Uh, Google is what it is because of that very point. The two tone
3: episode was a big relearning experience for me. Like the fact that the the specials and selector split from Coventry Automatics to become the specials and selector, and how that whole scene came together, and Dave Wakeling talking about Birmingham and how it tied into Coventry back in those early uh, Trouser Press interviews and some of the other alternative magazine interviews. Interviews. I relearned a lot about the uh, Laurel Canyon scene, the mamas and the papas, and some of Mm -hmm. those bands, even though I was a baby or not even born when a lot of that music was being recorded. My parents listened to it, my grandfather listened to it. So it was always part of the music in our house and so relearning stuff about Mama Cass and the craziness between the four people that were the mamas and the papas. Yes. I remember reading about it and hearing my parents talk about it in the 70s. Well, right. one
0: of the things I learned is what you relearned and it it taught me a lot about you and the impact of that music. We talk about how things hit us differently because of the ages we were. I could see you as a little kid hearing all that music all around you because that was the music on the radio. Right. It was psychedelia, Marcus. The fact that you didn't turn out to be a total stoned out tripper is kind of surprising because (laughs) that was the atmosphere even though it wasn't supercharged that way in your household and in your life, I know.
3: That music played a big role in my life. So
0: The same way that the music of the early 60s played a role in my life because when I was a little kid there was different stuff that was on the radio and we never lose that stuff and we've talked about that Mm -hmm. in some of our episodes over the last couple years. You know what? I think we both relearned about many women's role in rock and roll back to the foundation and in that episode and the episode about women in rock that we did we learned a lot more about women's role and women's music's role in the evolution of rock and roll and right before we started doing the podcast, certain figures like Rosetta Tharp, who's a favorite of ours, started getting more recognition for their role, both from the current generation and previous generations of rock and roll women. Therefore, kind of cementing her place And helping her to get into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, too
3: The women's role in so many stages of rock and roll And so many branches of the rock and roll family tree Is not highlighted or accentuated enough Because we all knew it was there The CBGB scene, the 70s scene Debbie Harry, Tina Weymouth We knew they were a part of it We knew they were influential But for so many years, they did not get the credit Or the recognition for their role in it as they should have from the beginning. And that is very common in the world of women and rock and roll. Sister Rosetta Tharp, Billie Holiday, Ma Rainey, all of them trailblazers. And Laurel Canyon, man. Yep. and Laurel, Laurel Canyon.
0: Canyon, Joni
3: Mitchell, the Mamas and the Papas. You're right. Every single phase you see that.
0: Speaking of Ma Rainey who we talked about in our Foundations episode. See the movie about her starring Viola Davis. It is unbelievable. As a member of SAG, I'm going to sit down and watch it again to get ready to make my votes for the SAG Awards coming up. But. John Lennon, he wrote about women, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Positive and the negative. Yep. We found out so much and relearned so much about John Lennon's lost weekend when we were getting ready to do that episode. In fact, there are now finger leaks extending out from Lake Lennon where we're going to be doing episodes about the other things that went on during the lost weekend then we have some uh, recorded evidence of some of it and it's pretty astounding stuff. Things to look forward to in our third year, buddy.
3: I can't wait for our third and fourth year because we do have some exciting episodes
0: ahead. But before we get down the road that far, April is Punk Rock Month here on the podcast. A reminder, four episodes focused around the music that we talk about and love so much, including one new episode about one of your favorites. July is going to be listener episode month on the podcast. Four new episodes suggested by you with participation of the audience. I think that's uh, both in the suggestion and in the episode. I think that should be kind of fun. So, The Wall. Something I thought I knew a ton about until we started digging in to do our episode about the various incarnations of The Wall just as an album.
3: An impressive work of art that album is and the fact that they've been able to successfully reincarnate it in so many different forms. And be successful with each and every one of those forms is pretty impressive. And it, it is. says everything about that album.
0: Do you know how much I relearned and remembered when we were talking about quadrafenia. when we were talking about Neil Peart, who had just passed away. It seems like so much longer ago than a little over a year that we did the episode because pandemic time, man. I mean, I don't know about you. It's like the year seems to go on forever yet. Everything seems to go by pretty quickly. And right at the beginning of it, we talked about Neil's passing, an episode that we didn't want to do, felt we should. And all time and reality has been suspended for some degree.
3: I learned a ton about Neil Peart in that episode. I really did. I relearned a ton, too. Another episode, the Tom Petty Wildflowers episode. I really relearned a lot about Tom Petty, having been a fan of his since the early days, and him making a mark on me as a younger kid, and following it. One of
0: the things I learned there was that Wildflowers was almost a double album, and that was on my list of things to talk about, too.
3: I did not know that until we dug into it, but hearing some of the other songs that were part of the Wildflower Sessions, it could have easily been a double album and a damn good double album.
0: And now there's something else coming out, which is a disc of alternate versions or something like that. I just saw it this morning while I was making coffee. I'll have more on that the next time we talk about Tom Petty. Can I talk to you about a guy who died in 1969 who inspired one of the great rock film documentarians to make a film about his passing and the police case involved in it that turned into an epic episode of the podcast I'm talking about the Brian Jones project and how much we not only learned and relearned, The things we learned were
3: mind-blowing. Completely mind-blowing. I think Prince Stash was my favorite because he was the closest to Brian Jones of anybody we spoke with. And he was able to paint the human picture that has so long been missing from the Brian Jones story. And he opened up about how Brian felt about the whole drug bust and his honest opinion of Um, I
0: was astounded, to be honest with you. I know. I was sitting
3: there. I think we were sitting there with our jaws smacking the floor going, what? Yep. Fuck.
0: No, you know what? My question was, how did this happen? Yep. And that's the question. And I think the answer is the lawyers. And one of the nice things is to see that the people involved in all that, Danny and my buddy Schnapp, have said such nice things about the work we did in conjunction with their film. The episode we call The Brian Jones Project. And it's very, very revealing. Very revealing. You know what else was revealing to me, my dear Marcus? What? In the Kevin Godley interview. How the video for Rocket for Herbie Hancock? How that whole thing went down when Kevin Godley told us about that? It's another mind blower, and we learned about stuff while relearning about that video.
3: Another episode where we did exactly that. Peter Gabriel. So that was. I a- have
0: that on my list. It's next. Are you looking at my list, man? Come on.
3: Yeah, I'm spying. Totally. <laughs> yeah, that. Totally, was I'm incredible. spying. Seriously, the whole story and adding the musicians like Manu. Kani to the picture and talking about his little beef with peter gabriel right at the beginning like i ain't doing no second take i did it right that's the feel and peter gabriel's the kind of guy like do it again that was great do it again that was phenomenal do it again that's peter gabriel
0: yeah that was part of the fun uh discovering the working methods involved too and our discussion about tape storage Is very old school analog, man. A recent episode just came out in the last few weeks our discussion about Ziggy Stardust and the spiders from Mars. But I relearned a ton. While we were doing the research, because you can look beyond what you know and what you thought you knew. And then when you start digging into it, it's like, wow. So that makes that a really great episode. Both of us came at that like wild men.
3: Yeah, that was a lot of fun. And learning more about Mick Ronson's value and the rest of the band's importance to Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars.
0: You know, one of the things that's going on on this podcast is us approaching similar or same topics from different angles and it's starting to come together and Ziggy's a good example because that's another facet we did the interview with Harold Myers right Mm -hmm. and he gave us a whole different view of that time period and Bowie and I'm sure future episodes about David and that time period will reveal other things and that's one of the things I think we see is okay real shit happened okay Mm -hmm. The stuff went down. How close to getting to the actual this happened can we get with the information and knowledge that we have? Our own experience might have caused us to get together and start doing this podcast. But I could tell you in no uncertain terms, the initial purpose or impetus for it is long gone. We're on a different mission altogether here now, pal. No, totally. That's what keeps us going, and that's what makes it easy to uh, reply the way you did when I jokingly earlier said about, well, we'll be doing this in another two years. Of course we will. (laughs) And and the ongoing learning experience will be a big part of it. We'll learn more about Robert Johnson. I don't know if we're ever going to find out about that guitar while we're doing this podcast, but— We might. We could find a reason to take a trip to Memphis, say. Will we learn more definitively about Brian Jones and other tragic figures like him, other members of the 27 Club? You got Johnson right there. You got Jones right there. Mm -hmm. Well, I got to say that coming up is the 50th anniversary of the passing of another member of the 27 Club, the great Jim Morrison. So look forward to seeing and hearing an episode about him coming up, in addition to the episode that we did about the doors. There's also something else about the relearning process that I wanted to talk to you about. An example is um, a few weeks ago, I think I texted you, dude, the crow's on! And I'm watching it, and I realized it was the second one, right? Yeah. And Jim Osterberg is in it, and the character he plays, and I'd forgotten that he was in the second Crow movie, that it was out of of his mind crazy, right? And Ian Dory just pops up like that in the middle of the movie, and I'm like, man, I forgot a lot about this movie. what we both do is take time and read. We read a lot. Happy second anniversary. Happy anniversary, my friend. Let's... All I could say is that when it's podcast day, like when I get coffee going and we're getting ready to record, like on a morning like today, I have that feeling of the uh, what's the morning reveille? <laughs> 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 you know, the trumpeter's playing, the court, <laughs> troops yeah. are marching across the field. We're getting everybody in position. You know, it's kind of like you know, you, you do it's your stretches. Yeah, it's podcast day. Get the coffee going. Yeah. And so this is, I, I guess, guess, this is episode number one ten mm in the series. Uh, when we decided not to do much with the numbering. We decided not to do much with uh, seasons and all that stuff. We just kind of, like rock and roll, man. Keep like keep the Allman in. Brothers said, the road goes on forever, motherfuckers, and that's what we're in for. Uh, going down the road feeling bad, or good, or whatever, you know. Yep. <sighs> what a long, strange trip it's been, as Captain Trips once said, and I think the uh, trip is going to get a little stranger and a little wilder here yeah. as we uh, begin to move into our third year and that'll include punk rock month coming up before you know it marcus because we've got a couple of episodes to get released after this one Mm -hmm. and then it's punk rock month punk rock spring and until it's a party party weekend and punk rock month, and until we drop the mic on another episode, let's sign off, reminding people to uh, reach us at imbalancehistory at gmail.com, online on the social media sites and all that, but also on our website, imbalancehistory.com. From the Duck, Duck Studios, I'm Ray Koob. I'm uh, Marcus Goldman. <laughs> you sure? Yes, I think so. <laughs> One thing I'm sure of, this is... Two years
3: of the imbalanced history of rock and roll. 92%